Part Two of The Creature from Cleveland Depths by Fritz Leiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three weeks later, Faye, dropping in again, handed to Daisy the larger of the two rather small packages he was carrying. It's a so-called beauty mask, he told her, complete with wig, eyelashes, and wettable velvet lips. It even breathes, pinholed elastiskin, with a static adherence charge. But microsystems had nothing to do with it, thank God. Beauty Tricks put it on the market ten days ago, and it's already started a teenage craze. Some boys are wearing them, too, and the police are yipping at tricks for encouraging transvestism with psychic repercussions. Didn't I hear somewhere that Trix is a secret subsidiary of Micro? Gusterson demanded, rearing up from his ancient electric typewriter. No, you're not stopping me writing, Faye. It's the gut of evening. If I do any more, I won't have any juice to start with tomorrow. I've got another of my insanity thrillers moving, a real id teaser. In this one, not only all the characters are crazy, but the robot psychiatrist, too. The vending machines are jumping with insanity novels, Faye commented. Odd they're so popular. Gusterson chortled. <laughs> the only way you outer-directed moles will accept individuality any more, even in a fictional character, without your super-egos getting seasick, is for them to be crazy. Hey, Daisy, let me see that beauty mask. But his wife, backing out of the room, hugged the package to her bosom and solemnly shook her head. A hell of a thing, Gusterson complained, not even to be able to see what my stolen ideas look like. I got a present for you, too, Faye said. Something you might think of as a royalty on all the inventions someone thought up a little ahead of you. Fifty dollars by your own evaluation. He held out the smaller package. Your tickler. My what? Gusterson demanded suspiciously. Your tickler. The mech reminder you wanted. It turns out that the file a secretary keeps to remind her boss to do certain things at certain times is called a tickler file. So we named this a tickler. Here. Gusterson still didn't touch the package. You mean you actually put your invention team to work on that nonsense? Well, what do you think? Don't be scared of it. Here, I'll show you. As he unwrapped the package, Faye said, It hasn't been decided yet. We'll manufacture it commercially. If we do, I'll put through a voucher for you for development consultation or something like that. Sorry, no royalties possible. Davidson's squad had started to work up the identical idea three years ago, but it got shelved. I found it on a snoop through the closets. There. Looks rich, doesn't it? On the scarred black tabletop was a dully gleaming silvery object about the size and shape of a cupped hand with fingers merging. A tiny pellet on a short, near-invisible wire led off from it. On the back was a punctured area suggesting the face of a microphone. There was also a window with a date and time in hours and minutes showing through, 
and next to that four little buttons in a row. The concave underside of the silvery hand was smooth except for a central area where what looked like two little rollers came through. It goes on your shoulder under your shirt, Faye explained, and you tuck the pellet in your ear. We might work up bone conduction on a commercial model. Inside is an ultra-slow fine wire recorder holding a spool that runs for a week. The clock lets you go to any place on the seven-day wire and record a message. The buttons give you variable speed in going there, so you don't waste too much time making a setting. There's a knack in fingering them efficiently, but it's easily acquired. Faye picked up the tickler. For instance, suppose there's a TV show you want to catch tomorrow night at 2200. He touched the buttons. There was the faintest whirring. The clock face blurred briefly three times before showing the setting he'd mentioned. Then Faye spoke into the punctured area. Turn on TV channel two, you big dummy. He grinned over at Gusterson. When you've got all your instructions to yourself loaded in, you synchronize with the present moment and let her roll. Fit it on your shoulder and forget it. Oh, yes, and it literally does tickle you every time it delivers an instruction. That's what the little rollers are for. Believe me, you can't ignore it. Come on, Gussie, take off your shirt and try it out. We'll feed in some instructions for the next ten minutes so you get the feel of how it works. I don't want to, Gusterson said. Not right now. I want to sniff around it first. My God, it's small. Besides everything else it does, does it think? Don't pretend to be an idiot, Gussie. You know very well that even with ultra-sub-micro, nothing quite this small can possibly have enough elements to do any thinking. Gusterson shrugged. I don't know about that. I think bugs think. Faye groaned faintly. Bugs operate by instinct, Gussie, he said. A patterned routine. They do not scan situations and consequences and then make decisions. I don't expect bugs to make decisions, Gusterson said. For that matter, I don't like people who go around all the time making decisions. Well, you can take it from me, Gussie, that this tickler is just a miniaturized wire recorder and clock and a tickler. It doesn't do anything else. Not yet, maybe, Gusterson said darkly. Not this model. Fay, I'm serious about Bugs thinking. Or if they don't exactly think, they feel. They've got an interior drama, an inner glow. They're conscious. For that matter, Faye, I think all your really complex electronic computers are conscious, too. Quit kidding, Gussie. Who's kidding? You are. Computers simply aren't alive. What's alive? A word. I think computers are conscious, at least while they're operating. They've got that inner glow of awareness. They sort of, well, meditate. Gussie, computers haven't got any circuits for meditating. They're not programmed for mystical lucubrations. They've just got circuits for solving the problems they're on. 
Okay, you admit they've got problem-solving circuits, like a man has. I say, if they've got the equipment for being conscious, they're conscious. What has wings flies. Including stuffed owls and gilt eagles and dodos, and wood-burning airplanes. Maybe, under some circumstances. There was a wood-burning airplane. Faye, Gusterson continued, wagging his wrists for emphasis, I really think computers are conscious. They just don't have any way of telling us that they are. Or maybe they don't have any reason to tell us. Like the little Scotch boy who didn't say a word until he was fifteen and was supposed to be deaf and dumb. Why didn't he say a word? Because he'd never had anything to say. Or take those Hindu fakers, Faye, who sit still and don't say a word for thirty years or until their fingernails grow to the next village. If Hindu fakers can do that, computers can. Looking as if he were masticating a lemon, Faye asked quietly, Gussie, did you say you're working on an insanity novel? Gusterson frowned fiercely. Now you're kidding, he accused Faye. The dirty kind of kidding, too. I'm sorry, Faye said with light contrition. Well, now you've sniffed at it. How about trying on Tickler? He picked up the gleaming, blunted crescent and jogged it temptingly under Gusterson's chin. Why should I? Gusterson asked, stepping back. Faye, I'm up to my ears writing a book. The last thing I want is something interrupting me to make me listen to a lot of junk and do a lot of useless things. But damn it, Gussie, it was all your idea in the first place, Faye blatted. Then, catching himself, he added, I mean, you were one of the first people to think of this particular sort of instrument. Maybe so, but I've done some more thinking since then. Gusterson's voice grew a trifle solemn. Inner directed, worthwhile thinking. Faye, when a man forgets to do something, it's because he really doesn't want to do it, or because he's all roiled up down in his unconscious. He ought to take it as a danger signal and investigate the roiling, not hire himself a human or mech reminder. Bourgeois, Faye retorted. In that case, you shouldn't write memorandums or even take notes. Maybe I shouldn't, Gusterson agreed lamely. I'd have to think that over, too. Ha! Faye jeered. No, I'll tell you what your trouble is, Gussie. You're simply scared of this contraption. You've loaded your skull with horror-story nonsense about machines sprouting minds and taking over the world until you're even scared of a simple miniaturized and clocked recorder. He thrust it out. Maybe I am, Gusterson admitted, controlling a flinch. Honestly, Faye, that thing's got a gleam in its eye as if it had ideas of its own. Nasty ideas. Gussie, you nut, it hasn't got an eye. Not now, no. But it's got the gleam. The eye may come. It's the Cheshire Cat in reverse. If you'd step over here and look at yourself holding it, you could see what I mean. But I don't think computers sprout minds, Faye. I just think they've got minds because they've got the mind elements. 
Ho, ho, Fay mocked. Everything that has a material side has a mental side, he chanted. Everything that's a body is also a spirit. Gussie, that dubious old metaphysical dualism went out centuries ago. Maybe so, Gusterson said. But we still haven't anything but that dubious dualism to explain the human mind, have we? It's a jelly of nerve cells, and it's a vision of the cosmos. If that isn't dualism, what is? I give up. Gussie, are you going to try out this tickler? No. But damn it, Gussie, we made it just for you, practically. Sorry, but I'm not coming near the thing. Then come near me, a husky voice intoned behind them. Tonight I want a man. Standing in the doorway was something slim in a short silver sheath. It had golden bangs and the haughtiest snub-nosed face in the world. It slunk toward them. My God, Vina Vidarsson, Gusterson yelled. Daisy, that's terrific! Fay applauded, going up to her. She bumped him aside with a swing of her hips, continuing to advance. Not you, Ratty, she said throatily. I want a real man. Fay, I suggested Vina Vidarsson's face for the beauty mask, Gusterson said, walking around his wife and shaking a finger. Don't tell me tricks just happen to think of that, too. What else could they think of? Fay laughed. This season, sex means V.V. and nobody else. An odd little grin flicked his lips. A tick traveled up his face, and his body twitched slightly. Uh, say, folks, I'm going to have to be leaving. It's exactly fifteen minutes to second curfew. Last time I had to run and I got heartburn. When are you people going to move downstairs? Uh, I'll leave Tickler, Gussie. Play around with it and get used to it. Bye now. Hey, Fay, Gusterson called curiously. Have you developed absolute time sense? Fay grinned a big grin from the doorway. Almost too big a grin for so small a man. I didn't need to, he said softly, patting his right shoulder. My tickler told me. He closed the door behind him. As side by side they watched him strut sedately across the murky, chilly-looking park, Gusterson mused. So the little devil had one of those nonsense gadgets on all the time, and I never noticed. Can you beat that? Something drew across the violet-tinged stars, a short, bright line that quickly faded. What's that? Gusterson asked gloomily. Next the last stage of missile here? Won't you settle for an old-fashioned shooting star? Daisy said softly. The wettable, velvet lips of the mask made even her natural voice sound different. She reached a hand back of her neck to pull the thing off. Hey, don't do that, Gusterson protested in a hurt voice. Not for a while, anyway. Okay, she said harshly, turning on him. Then down on your knees, dog. End of Part Two